welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of Commissioners for HMRC and Coal Superannuation Scheme Trustees Limited. The citation for this case is 2022 UKSC 10. And this week we have another tax case, so I do hope you will be patient with me as I muddle through. One of the parties is HMRC, while the other is a corporate trustee of a tax-exempt UK pension fund with a mix of UK and overseas shares. As a way to make money, the trustee has engaged in a practice called stock lending, whereby the shareholder transfers ownership of the share to another party on the basis that the borrower will return the equivalent number of shares to the lender at the end of the period, and then also pay the lender what they would have received as dividends during that same period. Those payments are called manufactured dividends when the shares are held in the UK and are called manufactured overseas dividends when the shares are in a non-UK company. The trustee does not have to pay tax on dividends it receives from either UK or overseas companies, but when it comes to overseas companies, the dividend may be subject to something called a withholding tax charged by the country in which the company is based. To ensure that UK taxpayers are not taxed twice, a tax credit is granted to the shareholder lender called a withholding tax credit. However, for a tax-exempt shareholder like the trustee in this case, that credit is of no effect because there is no tax liability to which the credit can be applied. Manufactured overseas dividends are not liable to withholding tax because they are not actual dividends. They are just contractual payments by virtue of the stock lending scheme. However, the UK wanted to prevent differential treatment between real and manufactured dividends. So the UK instituted a regime whereby manufactured overseas dividends were subject to a deemed withholding tax anyway that was payable by the borrower of the shares. In order to compensate for this deduction, the lender was then granted a corresponding tax credit in order to avoid something called juridical double taxation. That is the phenomenon where dividends are taxed in both the country where the company is based and where the shareholder is based, but it is relevant to point out that this is not considered unlawful under Article 63 of the Treaty of the Functioning of the European Union, the free movement of capital. The problem was that for a tax-exempt lender like the trustee, the deemed withholding tax reduced its net income and the tax credits were not useful as a form of compensation because it is tax-exempt. This was not merely juridical double taxation because it arose from deliberate UK policy, and so the trustee argued that it was contrary to the free movement of capital. There was no deemed tax in relation to the manufactured dividends of UK companies, and so the argument followed that tax-exempted entities like the trustee in this case were disincentivised from acquiring and stop lending shares in overseas companies compared to UK companies. In legal proceedings against HMRC, the trustee argued that it should be entitled to the repayment of the deemed tax as it was deducted from its own income. This would mean that its own claim was for around £8.8 million, but if the claim was successful then HMRC would end up having to pay back about £600 million to other tax-exempt entities. 
In the first tier tribunal, HMRC was successful because it was held that there was no breach of the free movement of capital. However, the upper tribunal and the court of appeal found in favour of the trustee, and so HMRC appealed to the Supreme Court, which is where we pick things up. The justices noted that the key question in this case was whether, if the disputed tax regime did not exist, would investors be sufficiently better off from stock lending to the extent that the tax regime was a disincentive to acquiring overseas shares as opposed to UK shares. Previously, the Court of Appeal had concluded that there was such a disincentive, because when the deemed withholding tax was not deducted prior to the manufactured overseas dividend being paid to the lender, the lenders could negotiate for a larger dividend to reflect the advantage that any borrower would accrue by dealing with the borrowed shares in a way that reduced withholding tax when the ownership of borrowed shares was moved to entities in different countries. However, in their joint lead judgment, Lord Briggs and Lord Sales consider this to be a flawed market analysis, as the benefit to the lender comes from the size of the lending fee rather than the manufactured overseas dividend. In a free and sophisticated market, it is to be assumed that the lending fee will already take into account any benefits that the borrower can be expected to accrue. Thus, whether or not there was a dissuasive effect that amounted to a breach of Article 63 of the Treaty on the Functioning of the European Union depends on whether the obligation on the borrower to account for any deemed withholding tax owed to HMRC would reduce the amount that a borrower would have been prepared to pay as a lending fee. That depended on whether the tax regime would require the borrower having to pay anything to HMRC in the form of deemed withholding tax deductions. However, HMRC did not receive payments related to deemed withholding tax. This was because borrowers generally had more than enough withholding tax credits to set off any deemed withholding tax that was payable by them. Therefore, it is far from clear that there is any sort of disincentive for investing in foreign shares relative to UK shares for the purposes of an Article 63 claim. That could have decided the appeal in HMRC's favour on its own, but the justices actually went further in their lead judgment and held that the appeal should also succeed because of the remedy that the trustee was seeking. If you remember, the trustee wanted around £8.8 million for the repayment of the deemed tax that was deducted from its own income. Lords Briggs and Sales disagreed because the purpose of the tax policy was to replicate what would happen if the lender simply held on to their own shares and did not lend them out. Looking at things from the perspective of the lender, the tax credit received under the regime had the same effect as the withholding tax that it would have to pay if the shares were retained. The tax credits that the trustee is claiming are credits in respect of withholding tax that would actually have been levied by overseas tax authorities. The UK's tax regime seeks to make amends for this, but that is very different from treating the tax as if it had been collected by HMRC instead of the relevant foreign revenue service. Beyond all this, any disincentive identified by the trustee, or indeed the Court of Appeal, pales in comparison to the relief that is sought by the respondent in this case. Under principles of EU law, any remedy should be proportional to the breach suffered, and that just wasn't going to be the case here. 
Overall, I think the main thing to say in relation to these proceedings is that the further we get from Brexit, the less likely we are going to have cases like this that turn on principles of EU law. The four freedoms, including the free movement of capital, was something that could be enjoyed and relied upon in court before the UK left the European Union. But that will no longer be possible, and that just makes it that much harder to challenge something like a tax regime that you might feel is discriminatory in some way or another. One of the key points of Brexit was about taking back control. But that is not control for the ordinary person on the street, it is control for the government in Westminster, for better or worse. EU law provided some protections against overreach, but the new Brexit freedoms are as much an opportunity for abuse as much as anything else. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast, and thanks as ever to pensound.com who provide the theme music. A quick reminder before we go that if you would like to support the podcast and help to keep it ad-free, then you can subscribe to my newsletter and earn yourself some nice perks, including more content from me each week, and a free ebook on how to answer essay questions on a law degree. This week in the newsletter, we talked about the really important High Court decision that found that the government's COVID policy during the early stages of the pandemic, as it related to care homes, was unlawful. Now, while it was found to be unlawful on general judicial review grounds as being irrational, the court actually rejected the argument based on Article 2 of the European Convention on Human Rights. And that was the bit that I focused on in the newsletter. Is this a sign of a general retreat from Article 2 of the Convention? And what sort of impact might this have for other cases that are also going to be coming about in relation to the pandemic? If that sounds like something you're interested in, then check out the link in the description to this podcast episode. But in either case, I'll be back with another episode next week. And for now, bye!